Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, December 6th, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. You are salvation. You are our savior. Amen. It's been called the Bible for Pregnancy. I'm guessing most women under the age of 55 have probably at least read a portion of this book. What to Expect When You're Expecting. It's in its fourth edition. It was originally published in 1984. The book has, for guys, the book has individual chapters that cover before, after, or during and after a woman's pregnancy. It goes month by month, trimester by trimester, taking on every conceivable topic one could imagine, and a whole bunch you never even thought of asking about. In the first chapter of the first month, under the subheading of what you may be feeling, comes these words of advice. Physically... Women may be having the absence of menstruation, fatigue, and sleepiness, frequent urination, nausea, with or without vomiting and or excessive salivation, heartburn, indigestion, flatulence, bloating, food aversions, cravings, and breast changes. Who wants to sign up today for this, right? <laughs> Emotionally, you may be having instability compared to premenstrual syndrome, which may include irritability, mood swings, irrationality, weepiness. Also, misgivings, fear, joy, and elation. I remember when Jody was pregnant with Ezra, our first child, uh, way back in the 90s, and she read this book for the first time, and she was telling me one of the things that I thought was interesting, that it said a, a pregnant woman's body at rest, just sitting still doing nothing, is working harder than a mountain climber's body who's actually climbing a mountain. There's more going on inside a pregnant woman's body. That's why women, pregnant women are often so tired. Well... Not everyone is in love with this book. If you go to Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble's website, you'll discover a plethora of dissatisfied customers like these three. <clears throat> As a first-time pregnant mother, this book has made me afraid of being pregnant. Every terrible thing that could possibly happen to your unborn child is clearly laid out in this book. I finally had to quit reading it and just put it away. I mean, I agree, it's important to be informed, but books like this just scare any new mother and take all the fun out of being pregnant. Or this. After reading this book, I'm amazed that there are any successful healthy pregnancies at all. <laughs> this book has kept me on the edge for the entire duration of pregnancy with its monthly list of complications. I would have definitely been happier with a book that outlined all of the things you could personally do to ensure a healthy pregnancy and focus less on the possible complications which are beyond your control. Or this. Mothers, unless you want to find out how every little thing you do is going to damage your fetus, don't buy this book. Fathers, unless you want your wife to break down in tears because they thought they were giving your unborn child brain damage like my wife did, don't buy this book. Friends, unless you think nine months of excessive compulsive disorder makes a great baby shower gift, do not buy this book. <laughs> Welcome to the second week in our Advent 2015 sermon series entitled Through Mary's Eyes. And each of the remaining Sundays in December, we'll be re-examining Christmas through the eyes of Mary, Jesus' mom. I was inspired by Pastor Adam Hamilton's sermon series that he did a few years ago and his Advent book, The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. Well, the idea behind this series is that at different stages in Mary's life, 
the Christmas story probably meant a different thing to her as the mother of Jesus. Last week, we began with the end of Mary's life. We focused on the connection between Christmas and Easter. And we saw how for Mary, and hopefully for us as well, Christmas has an element of hope in the resurrection to eternal life. This week, we're going to go to the other end of the timeline. We're going to start when Mary first found out that she would be a mother. Now, just a little background on our text for you today. As I was sharing with the children, with Allison, uh, most scholars believe that Mary was probably 14, maybe at the most 16, somewhere in that gap when Gabriel first came to her. Now, it is sort of uh, uh, beyond our comprehension to think of, you know, 14, 15. That doesn't seem like the right age for people to get, be getting pregnant. Um, just ask Ron. Is, that's not the right age, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, but the average life expectancy for a woman in the ancient Near East was only 30 to 40 years. Only one in every four women made it to their 40th birthday or beyond. And for this reason, when a woman was physically able to bear children, once she had had her first menstrual cycle, then she was considered a woman. And shortly thereafter, she would probably be engaged and then soon married. And that's where we find Mary in today's story. Now, once a woman was engaged, uh, they didn't get married right away. There was a transition period of time that would take about a year. The young bride-to-be would stay with her family and her mom, especially would be teaching her and training her about what it's going to mean to be a wife and to be a mother and to be getting ready. The groom-to-be would go back to his house, his father's house, and he would have to build an extension on the family home. That would be the place where he and his new bride would actually come and live together. And it took about a year to have this happen. And then when the extension was finally done and the father had given approval, the groom and his groomsmen would walk over to the bride's house and she and her bridesmaids then would have a formal procession and they would come back uh, to the new place that he had built and they would go in and consummate the the marriage and then they would have a week-long wedding celebration and it would be official. And it was expected for young couples that every year there would be another child. Women hoped and prayed that they and their children would survive those births one after another during her childbearing years. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a young virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, to begin with, so much more is known about the town of Nazareth today than it was even in during Jesus' day. You see, Nazareth isn't mentioned at all in the Old Testament. Not at all. In the Hebrew Talmud, the, the writings of the, of the Jewish leaders, uh, they mentioned 63 villages in Galilee. Nazareth is not listed in the Talmud. There's 45 villages mentioned by the first century historian Josephus. He knew the area well. He never mentions Nazareth. It was an insignificant town. The population was estimated to have been between maybe 100 to 400. Some scholars think it might have been considerably less than even 100. But there was a nearby town, Sephorus. That was well known. That was the hub. It had a population of about 30,000. Pastor Adam Hamilton remarks that Nazareth was likely a town of farmers, shepherds, and laborers who had to walk an hour each way to sell their goods and services or to work in Sephora's. 
So basically, the people of Nazareth had the same commute that we do in the Antelope Valley. It's about an hour, right? <laughs> they were walking, we're driving. Either way, it's a long time to be away from your family, right? These people were not affluent by any means. And it's to this tiny, humble community that the angel Gabriel comes to find a young girl named Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Now, the Greek word for angel is the same word for messenger. So it's possible that Gabriel appeared to Mary just as an ordinary person, as an ordinary man. She didn't seem to be frightened by a glowing supernatural figure with wings. She was simply perplexed by his message. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, will be, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Now, we've heard this message over and over, right? Every year we hear this passage read around Christmas time. We understand what it means. But Mary didn't have years and years of coming to church and hearing the story about this, right? She was experiencing in the moment, for the very first time, that day, that evening in Nazareth. As mature as she may have been for a 14-year-old peasant girl, I still think its full meaning probably went right over Mary's head. Son of the Most High, throne of the ancestor David, reign over the house of Jacob. I mean, seriously, I think she was still uh, focusing on that you're about to be pregnant part of the message and didn't make it to the other parts that Gabriel was saying. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? See what I'm talking about, right? Now, remember, young women of Mary's age back in that day were having children all the time. That was just part of the culture. But Mary hadn't consummated her relationship with Joseph yet. She hadn't come together with him. They're they're still in that one-year waiting period while he's working on the extension before the marriage, the wedding actually takes place. So when Gabriel is listing all of the different ways that her soon-to-be-born child will be special, I think Mary's still trying to focus on the physics of this whole arrangement, right? And Gabriel tells her, don't worry, God will take care of the physics, Right? The Holy Spirit, God's unseen presence here on earth will get it all started. Not only that, but he mentions her older cousin Elizabeth, who had been barren. Uh, that was a very serious problem for women back in biblical days. If you were a, a, a barrenless woman in Jesus' day, you were seen as less than whole. Yeah. And you, and you have to live with the questions, and the, what, did, what sin did you commit that God didn't bless you with children? That's what they felt like back then. And, and now, after so many years of being barrenless, Elizabeth also is pregnant. For nothing is impossible with God, says Gabriel. Which brings us to what I think may very well be the most significant verse in this entire first visitation passage. And that's verse 38. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. I don't think Mary had a clue to the enormity of what was being asked of her that day. But she still said yes. Now, according to the law, young women who were legally engaged but found to be pregnant by someone other than their betrothed were to be stoned to death. She still said yes. Despite knowing that some women died during childbirth, Mary still said yes. 
Despite knowing that it might mean the end of the dreams that she had for her wedding day. If you're pregnant, you are not going to have that big wedding celebration. She still said yes. Despite knowing that she might end up a single, unwed mother with a newborn child, Mary said yes. She said yes. Mary knew that sometimes God's call upon our lives is indeed a difficult one. It may call us to set aside our own hopes and dreams and plans for our life. The direction we think it's going, God may call us in a different path. It may call us to become someone we never thought we would be asked to be. Put us in situations we never would have volunteered to be a part of, yet sometimes God's call leads us there. It may even call us to do something quite difficult, to take risks we never expected that we would have to take on our own. When God calls us to something, will we, like Mary, be able to respond, let it be with me according to your word? The title of today's message is Two Visitations. The second visitation from Luke's gospel happens right after the angel Gabriel leaves Mary and Nazareth. Mary decides to take a road trip and head into the hill country into an unnamed Judean town to spend time with her cousin Elizabeth, the other pregnant one. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, this is when she arrived back at at her house, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is an amazing encounter. Uh, This 14-year-old, unmarried pregnant girl journeys to her much older cousin's house. And instead of being filled with questions and demanding explanations, Elizabeth simply responds with joy and with blessing. And she heaps blessings upon, upon Mary. She immediately blesses her, speaks words of encouragement. It's not an angelic visit, but I dare say that the power and the presence of God was every much as powerful in this second visit as it was when Gabriel came in the first. The Holy Spirit is in both women. They receive the joy and the, uh, the, the enormity of what this moment means. And in the verses that follow, Mary proceeds to speak words that will become to known as the Magnificat. It's a song that's modeled after Hannah's song, another woman who had been barren for many years from the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And it's absolutely beautiful. I, I commend it to your reading a little bit later today. Consider that your homework before you go home to watch football. Read the Magnificat. It starts with, My soul magnifies the Lord, my soul, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But I want us to stop here for just a moment. I want us to stay here with 14-year-old Mary, this simple village girl whose entire life has been turned completely upside down. And whether she understood all of what Gabriel and Elizabeth said to her, we don't know. Whether she had uh, thought of the potential repercussions of what this unplanned pregnancy would do to her life, we don't know. We only know that she was vaguely aware that things will never quite be the same. And she said yes. As we continue to journey together towards Christmas, let's remember this moment. We're here right now with Mary. We talked last week about the end, and, 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 and today we're doing the beginning, and there'll be other things that we'll, we'll follow and find with Mary along the way, but let's just stay right here with her at the beginning. In the joy that comes from having learned that a brand new little tiny person is stirring within one's womb and the whole world lies at her feet because 
Mary said yes. Meister Eckhart, the 13th century Christian mystic, once said this. What good is it to me if Mary gave birth to the Son of God 1,400 years ago, and I do not also give birth to the Son of God in my time and in my culture? We are all meant to be mothers of God. God is always needing to be born. That's a powerful line, right? We are all meant to be mothers of God, something you don't hear every day. And it's uh, a lot to lay on you at the end of a sermon, especially to the men in the room, that you are called to be a mother of God. But that God might want to fill each of us with his presence in, in a different but similar way to how Mary was filled so long ago. The question remains, how will we respond? Will we say yes? And it goes beyond, you know, what your plans are for the Christmas season and, and how faithful. It's, it's not, will you be here at every service, including uh, Christmas Eve? It, we're not talking about even, do you believe that Jesus is the reason for the season? This is, will you say yes to God coming into your life in a real and powerful way? Will you say yes to opening a deeper part of your heart than maybe you've done in the past so that the transforming and life-changing power of God can fill you in a new way? To begin with here, we can start by, by saying the words that Mary said. It's not really a prayer, but it could be a prayer for us. Imagine if each day we began, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. How would it change your day if you said those words very shortly after waking up in the morning? Here I am, a servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Being open to wherever God might use you throughout the course of that day. In fact, we may still have some blank 3 by 5 index cards that are in your pews from last week's Building the Next Generation presentation. You can take one of those out, or when you get home, write that, write that verse out on a card. And then put it on your uh, bathroom mirror, or put it in the dashboard of your car, or someplace, or, or, or wherever, on the refrigerator door when you're going for breakfast, someplace that you'll see it each morning, that you can say that throughout, just between now and Christmas Day. Let it, here I am, a servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Second, if we're going to pray that, if we're going to ask God that each day, then we also need to be sure that we're spending time reading God's word. Reading the Bible is a wonderful opportunity to allow God to speak into your life on a daily basis. And if you don't have a regular practice of reading the Bible, uh, our scripture journaling is a wonderful way to start. On your way out, you can pick one of these up outside in the, in the lobby, and it just sets uh, a way that you can begin to read the Bible devotionally. And, and don't be a slave to it that if you miss a few days, feel like you have to catch up. Whatever day it is that you're able to read, just choose that day and be open to what God might say. It's, it's been life-changing for me in the last 10 to 12 years that I've been incorporating Scripture journaling into part of our life. You see, friends, Advent is upon us. And it's not just upon the original Holy Family. It's not just hanging out until December 24th comes. It's an opportunity for each of us to respond to God in our lives. And, and God knows us in ways that, he, that even we don't know ourselves. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows the health conditions that we have. He knows the relationship in our family that are strained or those family obligations and responsibilities that just seem to be weighing so heavily upon us. God knows the fears we have and uncertainties about our finances and our work and our future. 
And God still comes to you and to me like he came to Mary over 2,000 years ago. Well, maybe not the exactly same way he came to Mary, but God comes to us again each day. God wants to be born anew in our lives. The question is, will we say yes? May it be with us according to God's word. Amen.